Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God made his word simple. He said, I would that all men would be saved. He, he wants everyone to be saved. He didn't come just for the wise. He didn't come just for the white or the black or the red or the yellow or the intelligent or those that, that have trouble with intelligence. He came that all men everywhere might find salvation. And for that, I am eternally grateful to God today. must repent you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and you must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues there's the plan in a nutshell try to walk around it any other way and you'll be like a thief and a robber amen try to get around it or circumvent it and it'll fail you every time but if you just embrace it stand I don't really have a, uh, a text an opening text for you today and we're just going to get into the word of the Lord here in a little bit I want to talk about baptism and it's been a little bit since we've discussed this as a subject head we have in the past you know always kind of thrown it in into the mix of things because it's one of the things that we believe is an absolute necessity for the plan of salvation but today, uh, rather than go through the whole plan of salvation, I may touch on that briefly. I would like to pick up on baptism. And, and the reason is because th- there's a lot of confusion uh, about baptism that has been out there for actually centuries. Um, and there are people that don't believe baptism to be necessary at all, uh, that it's just a formality, that it can be bypassed if you choose not to be baptized you know uh, there's people that believe it's just a a symbolic thing Um, there's others that believe that there's more to it than that there's some that baptize infants while other churches do not some sprinkle when they baptize some pour some water out of a cup over someone's head Uh, others immerse completely Uh, Some baptize and say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And others baptize and use the name of Jesus when they are baptizing and immersing the person into the water. While the subject of baptism may not be confusing, you may have a handle or a grip on it. Your beliefs already uh, might even be settled on on the subject of baptism today. I believe that it is worth a careful study of the, of the word for the sake of some who might need some clarity on the subject. Whether you're new or maybe you've come in, uh, you know, and not, you've learned a lot, you, you like what you feel, you like the spirit that you feel in the church, uh, uh, and maybe you just are looking to learn something. Uh, or for those of you that, that already have a good handle, a good grip on this subject, you know, let this lesson just be a, an affirmation of what you know, and uh, let the Word be the affirmation today, because really, um, opinions are, don't matter that much. They, they just, there's a lot of different thoughts, a lot of different ideas out there. I, I just, sometimes it helps me to put myself in the, in the shoes of someone else uh, that maybe doesn't know much about God. Uh, other than the fact that they know that they they want to serve God 
Um, but I, I think that it can be very confusing, almost overwhelming for somebody to walk into a church and just wonder what does this church teach or what does it believe? They, they know what, they like what they feel. They like that they, that they feel the spirit and the presence of God. But they're learning, they're, they're, they're wanting to know. Uh, and I, I think that it would be very confusing for somebody to just walk in off the street to wonder, am I in the right church? Am I in a church that preaches truth? Does it really matter? Is everybody right? Is nobody wrong? Is somebody wrong? I want to be in the place that, that teaches truth because the Bible tells us to buy the, buy the truth and sell it not. Once you get a hold of something, and there's people that are selling the truth, yes. selling out for the truth. There's people that are, that are letting other things take the place of the truth. They, they've come to understand truth, but then walked away from truth. I do not want to be one of those people. Amen. I want to find what is true. I want to let the word of the Lord speak and teach to us. Amen. Amen. Paul made it very clear to the Corinthians. Thank you, Sister Graham. Appreciate you playing the keyboard for us today. So Paul, he's speaking here to the Corinthian church, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33. He says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So if Paul writes and he says that God is not the author of confusion, then that begs the question, in my mind at least, where does confusion come from? Where do all the different ideas come from? And I've come up with the conclusion that it's from man's doctoring, doctoring in parentheses, with the Word of God. The Word of God does not need us to challenge it. It does not need a man to change it. It does not need us to try to uh, perfect it in any way. It is already perfect in every way. The Word of God is holy in every way. It's pure and needs not myself nor any other man to change one jot or one tittle of the Word. Amen. In history, there was a man uh, by the name of Aristotle. You've heard of him, I'm quite certain. And he had a teaching. He was a great thinker of his day. And he had a teaching that a heavier item would fall faster than a lighter item. That was his theory. He was so highly respected in, in his day and age that men bought into this theory. And for 2,000 plus years, men taught Aristotle's theory. That something lighter would fall, fa uh, would fall uh, more slowly than something heavier. Now, I understand we're talking a brick and a feather are going to be two different things here. But we're talking about two things that are made of the same material that have the same shape, okay? Two, two spheres made out of iron or brass or whatever. So we have the same material and we have the same shape. One is heavier, one is smaller. The heavier one, Aristotle says, will reach the ground quicker, will fall faster than the lighter, uh, than the lighter weight. And so this, this mindset was taught. 
It was handed down from parents to children to grandchildren for almost two centuries. This was believed to be true. And then there came a man by the name of Galileo that challenged the belief system of all those that had been teaching what Aristotle taught. And he, he proved it with an experiment. He took the men of his day, the men of wisdom, and he said, I want you to meet me out uh, by the leaning tower of Pisa. The, the tower leaned enough to where you could drop something off the top and, and watch it plummet to the ground. And he took a five uh, kilo weight, uh, kilo, uh, five kilo weight uh, and a one kilo weight, which basically in pounds is about uh, 11 pounds, a little more than 11 pounds, and a little more than two pounds. And he took both of those things, and he had all the men of wisdom stand at the bottom uh, on the ground, and he had a mechanism set up where he released both of those at exactly the same moment. And to their surprise, they watched as the uh, one kilo weight and the five kilo weight plummeted to the ground and landed at exactly the same time. Proving that Aristotle's theory about a heavier weight falling faster than a lighter weight was incorrect. Now, that's basically all we need to know to understand. I mean, I'm sure they could have moved on with, with other experiments, and I'm sure Galileo did, but, but here's the problem, that the men of that day had been taught for 2,000 years that a heavier object would fall faster than a lighter object, and they had such a great respect for their tradition and a great respect for Aristotle's theory that instead of going with what they saw right before their eyes with what had been proven to them and saying, we have been believing a lie for almost 2,000 years, instead of coming and, and connecting themselves with this newfound truth that Galileo had presented to them, they instead chose to continue to believe a theory that was incorrect and had been proven to be incorrect. That is uh, intriguing to me. They had seen the truth with their own eyes. But they persisted to believe in something that was inaccurate. Hear me today. We, we have no excuse to not have a clear understanding of what it takes to get to heaven. <laughs> God didn't turn it into this big jigsaw puzzle and say, now, for the very elite and the very intelligent amongst you, you guys have a better chance at making it to heaven because you have enough intellect, you have enough brain power to go to the Word of God and figure out this puzzle that I have placed in there that if you can figure it out, and if you're smart enough, if you're intelligent enough, if you're wise enough to piece all the pieces together, then you can make it to heaven. That's not what God did. God made his word simple that even, he, he said, he said, I would that all men would be saved. He, he wants everyone to be saved. He didn't come just for the wise. He didn't come just for the white or the black or the red or the yellow or the intelligent or those that, that have trouble with intelligence. He came that all men everywhere might find salvation. And for that, I am eternally grateful to God today. Yes, glory to God. Amen. He said, this is for whomsoever will. 
That if we would open up the Word of God and open up our hearts to the Word of God, that we could come to the correct conclusion on what we must do as a sinful human being in order to get our life changed and prepared for either the resurrection or the rapture. Well, the Bible's a big book. Yes, it is. But the theme is the same. You know, I've read, I've read books uh, for a long time now. I got, I got hooked on reading in high school. And I've read enough of certain authors that, that I can almost tell where this is taking me. I understand their writing. I understand how they write. I understand, you know, uh, where they typically go with their books. And so for me to be able to look at that book, I don't have to even finish it to understand that there's a theme here. And you can go to the Word of God, and you can start in Genesis, and you can end in Revelation. It's not a bunch of hodgepodge put together things. It has a general theme, and that is the salvation of humanity. We have messed up. God created us, and we messed up. And ever since then, He has created a plan for mankind to know what salvation is all about. And I want to know what salvation is all about because I want to be saved. So let's talk about baptism. We simply must go to the Word to understand the proper way. It's, it's not complicated. And more than that, it's not optional. Just in case anybody here is, is thinking, well, do I have to? It is not an option per the Word of the Lord. And I'm going to kind of walk us through that. I've got about 20, 25 minutes here. And I hope that by the end of this lesson today that you have a clear understanding of why we believe what we believe about baptism. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples here. Mark chapter 16. He's just come out from the tomb, and a few people have seen him. He's risen from the dead. And the disciples have been told that he's risen from the dead, but they're struggling with that fact. They're struggling trying to believe that he could actually be alive. And these were the men that were with him. These were the men that walked by his side. These were the men that saw him raise the dead back to life. These were the men that saw him heal blinded eyes and deaf ears and all the other miracles, walk on water. These were the men, and yet here they still find themselves trying to comprehend how this man that had been dead in the grave for three days could actually still be alive. And so they're sitting in this place, and Jesus appears to them. And this is what the Bible says. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. He was chastening them a little bit. This is what I told you was going to happen. And yet here you sit, the 11 of you, and you're eating supper, and you're talking about how it's hard for you to believe that I am risen just as I said I would be. The Bible says, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
but he that believeth not shall be damned. So the very first thing to come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ after he has arisen from the grave for three days and he walks into this room with the 11 disciples sitting there, he, he chastises them a little bit about their unbelief and then he begins to speak and he says, I want you to preach the gospel message. He, he, he kind of brings them back to a point a reference point in their life of, of what is important, of what they're called to do, of what they're to, uh, to be about, of how they're supposed to live. And he says, you must preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It, it, it's Jesus Christ saying, I am really alive. Amen. The death and the burial without the resurrection, that's not much good news right there. But you put the resurrection into it, and here he is, proof that the resurrection has taken place. He's literally standing in the room having a discussion with them, telling them, don't you forget what you're supposed to do. I want you to preach the gospel, and I want you to teach them, amen, what they need to do to be saved, that there was a death, and there was a burial, but there is now uh, also a resurrection that has taken place. This is the good news. The unbelievers are going to walk away and they're not going to get baptized. But because of that, they're not going to be saved. But the believers, Jesus said, are going to be baptized and they will be saved. Now, for me, that's all I needed to hear. For me to accept the fact that baptism is something that is not an option. Uh, God is not going to force anybody to be baptized. But let me tell you something. If you want to go to heaven, I would definitely get myself baptized very quickly because he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Just in case someone, someone needs a little bit more, and there's always more. Let me take you to Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. And just relate to you a little bit about what's taking place here, okay? So the Holy Ghost is being poured out. They're in this upper room. There's 120 people that are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but that's not the only people that, that, were, that were going to be there and see what was going on. There's a festival going on, uh, and, and people from all around, they speak different languages, they're from different cultures, uh, different belief systems. All of a sudden, they realize that something supernatural is taking place in this room by what they're hearing and by what they're seeing. And... All of a sudden, something begins to happen in their heart. They realize that what they're seeing is credible, that what they're seeing is supernatural, and what they're seeing is because of what had happened at Calvary. And they asked this question. They said, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What made them ask that question? What made them ask the question, what shall we do, was another question that said, what's this all about? How are these people that we know do not understand these languages, how are they speaking in a language 
that they don't understand, but we do. And they are praising and prophesying. They're they're worshiping God. How is this even taking place? And those cloven tongues like as a fire, that had a little bit of something to do with it, I'm sure. And they said, how is this all taking place? And that's when one of the disciples stood up and said, hey, this is taking place because of what Jesus did on Calvary. He said, oh, by the way, it's the same Jesus that you all crucified. Hmm. We did, didn't we? I was there and I was I was part of that crowd that was saying, crucify him, crucify him. I stood there and watched them hang him on the cross. That was me. And all of a sudden, conviction grips their heart. And they say, what must we do? There's something taking place here that is not of this world. There's something happening here. And they... They said, how do we make this right? And that's when Peter stood up and he told them. Remember Peter? Peter that was talking to Jesus. And Jesus was saying, whom do men say that I am? And and somebody said, well, some say Isaiah, some say a prophet. And he said, no. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, thou art the Christ. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. But my Father which is in heaven... And then he tells them that he's going to give him the keys to the kingdom. Yes. In other words, he's going to give him the formula for salvation. What's the kingdom he's talking about? He's talking about heaven. What's the keys he's talking about? He's talking about the New Testament plan of salvation. So when he tells Peter that, Peter, I don't think, has a clue what he's going to say. I believe this was Holy Ghost inspired right here. The men stood up and the people that were in that room, they said, what shall we do? And all of a sudden, whoosh. Like a mighty rushing wind, Peter is filled with the answer. And he stands up and he says, you must repent and be baptized. Not some of you, not just uh, one of you or a few of you or the rich or the wealthy. But you must be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. One key, two key, three keys. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Three things. And therefore, the very first time, the name of Jesus was brought into play. These were desperate people who understood that they had made a terrible mistake. They wanted to correct the wrong, and they said, what must we do? They weren't looking for a shortcut. They weren't looking for a loophole. They recognized this as being God-ordained, God-orchestrated. They saw the supernatural taking place right there in their midst. And when they were called on the carpet for their wrongdoing, they didn't try to back up and back out and just disappear off into oblivion. They said, no, this is too great of a thing. This is too amazing. What is taking I want some of this. Just tell me what I need to do to be a part of this. need to know what I have to do to make this right. And for the first time, Peter, he looses heaven's plan for earth's salvation with a name. Yes. And the name is Jesus. Yes. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 16 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. That's a good thing, right? Still following the plan. Watch what it says right here, though. Go to the next verse, Sister Hogan. When they were yet come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Scripture here tells us two very important things. Number one, they use the name of Jesus or Lord Jesus in this this particular instance, but still the name is there. The Lord is title. Jesus was the name. But they had not received the Holy Ghost yet. It tells us that they baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And it also tells us that the Holy Ghost was a separate experience apart from being baptized in Jesus' name. Okay? I say that because of this. There there are some that would tell you that you automatically receive the Holy Ghost when you are baptized or when you go up and shake the preacher's hand or or when you sign a a, a card or you become a member that you are now... Uh, uh, that you are now filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You now have God's Spirit. But according to this scripture, and also another place in Acts chapter 19 that I'll deal with just a little bit later, that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is a separate, distinct step in the plan of salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't feel the Holy Ghost, even if you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost. And a lot of people can get that confused because they, they go and they repent and they're living a life of repentance. They're living a life uh, that is better than the life they lived before. And you can do that with some good old-fashioned willpower and the help of the Lord. God wants to help you. He's going to help you change if you're addicted to something you want to stop. God's going to, of course, help you to change. But just because you repent of your sins and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ does not mean that you automatically receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a separate and distinct uh, step. I uh, say it like this. You can be dying of thirst and be set down into a tank full of water. And the water feels good. It's hot. Of course, you're dehydrated. That water, that cool water feels good on your, on your body. You're dying of thirst, but it cannot save you until you ingest it. And it goes inside of you. We cannot confuse the fact that we can feel God on us with the fact that God wants to dwell within us. We must repent. Don't get repentance confused with an apology. Repentance, true repentance is more than saying, I'm sorry. I mean, most of us in this adult Bible study today, uh, most of us have kids or nieces or nephews. We've watched these kids, and we know what it's like to have a kid come up 
uh, at doing something, and you tell them, hey, don't do it again. They say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you turn around five minutes later when you walk out of the room, and they're right back doing it again. That, uh, that second apology doesn't mean as much as the first apology, right? All of a sudden, you're thinking, they really haven't repented. Repentance, the Bible doesn't say, uh, uh, tell God you're sorry. The Bible says repent. Repentance is different than saying, I'm sorry. True repentance doesn't allow us to go back to the same thing that we did that was wrong before. We turn away from that thing, and we walk a different direction. We don't just keep going back to and say, oh, sorry again, God. Oh, here I am again, God. That's not repentance. Now, understand that sometimes we struggle with things, and we have things in our life that it takes us more than one time to, to get through it. It takes us more than one time. I, I just keep, in my own life and with other people I've talked to, I said, you just keep dealing with that and keep pushing yourself further away from it until the point where you're, you don't, it's so far away you can't even see it in your life anymore. But real repentance means a turning away from sinful things in our life. Got to be baptized. And according to the word, from what I see, baptism is in the name of Jesus and by immersion. The very word baptized means to dip or immerse. Anything less is not a baptism. We, we have this, this terrible problem in society today where we want to change definitions. We want to change the definition of certain things. Let me tell you what, God's word is not changing for us, you, me, anybody else, president, a pauper. It's not going to change. God's word is going to stand. And thirdly, we must be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now let's go to Acts chapter 19 here. Paul is uh, checking a place out here. He's hearing good things about it. And the Bible says it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, remember we talked about in the last couple of Wednesday nights, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone that is disciplined. There's got to be some godly disciplines put into place in our life or we're not disciples. We're followers, but a simple follower is different than a disciple. Okay? So Paul passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, he finds disciples there, and he says this to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He simply asked them this question. I, I can see him in my mind, you know, he's excited about what's going on here. There's, there's quite a group, it's stirring, it's gathering, it's, things are going well, and, and he's like, have you guys received the Holy Ghost since you believed? It's obvious that they are believers. Okay? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. In modern day language, they said, What are you talking about? What's the Holy Ghost? See, this is brand new. We're 2,000 some odd years into this now. When we talk about the Holy Ghost, you can talk about it with a lot of different people, or Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, most people have an understanding that we're talking about the Spirit of God. 
But back here, they're talking about Holy Ghost. This is something that's brand new. Paul says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we don't even know. We've not even heard about anything called the Holy Ghost. And so Paul then takes it back a step and he said, okay, so then how then were you baptized? And this is how he says it. Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto Paul, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. That's good, right? For the day, he baptized under repentance, okay? I'm going to baptize you. You're going to come up a new creature, and you're not going to go back to your old sinful lifestyle. I'm baptizing you into a brand new life, a second chance, a new start, a fresh touch. But Paul stopped him right there. He said, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. The Bible says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't you just love people that, when it's presented to them, they just embrace it? (laughs) I see it. Let's do it. Well, you want us to do it next Sunday, you know, we can get things fired. No, right now. I see it. Why wait? Why, Terry, let me get baptized now. And so Paul takes this group of people out, and they were baptized or rebaptized into the, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not my words. That's the Bible right there. They called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Three separate things. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? We don't even know what the Holy Ghost is. Well, then how were you baptized? We were baptized by John. Well, John baptized under repentance. Let's rebaptize you in Jesus' name. And after they rebaptized, Paul says, now you're ready. He lays his hands upon them, starts praying for them. They start speaking in other tongues and prophesying as the Holy Ghost comes upon them. Amen. There are your three key elements to getting into the kingdom of heaven. You must repent. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And you must receive the baptism of of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in another tongue. There's the plan in a nutshell. Try to walk around it any other way and you'll be like a thief and a robber. Amen. Try to get around it or circumvent it and it'll fail you every time. But if you just embrace it, just embrace it. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and the spirit. We don't like directives like that these days. Don't tell me what I must do. But Jesus says there's some things that you've got to do. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to be one of mine, there's some things that you have to do. So he's telling Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and the spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to get wet. Man is two-part. We're flesh and we're spirit. Bryce Jones has a fleshly body and he has a spiritual man. Amen. Brother Leip has a fleshly human body, but within him there is a spiritual man. These two things wrestle. 
We know that the flesh is, is weak. We know that the flesh has problems. We know that the flesh is sinful. So it is not hard for us to come to an understanding that this flesh needs a Savior. We are two parts. And so when you are baptized, you take that fleshly body and it's laid down into a watery grave. And we identify with the death of Jesus Christ. And when we are brought up, the flesh is made clean all over again. Our humanity, our mistakes, everything that we've done since we were a little child and we first broke into mama's cookie jar and stole two or three cookies out of the cookie jar. Everything that we've ever done that was wrong, he washes it all away and we come up a brand new creature in Christ in our fleshly human nature. He takes this giant eraser and he just wipes it all out and it's all gone. That's a beautiful thing. That's why when you come up out of the water you feel light because sin is heavy. And when you have sin lifted out of your life or removed from your life The remission of sins is what baptism is all about. It it just makes us feel great. But what about the second nature, the spiritual man? That's why some people, they feel so great after baptism, they they don't go ahead and seek for the Holy Ghost. But it gets better. It builds. Because when you receive the Holy Ghost and God's Spirit takes up residence inside of this earthen vessel... You also receive a new birth of the Spirit. We are body and we are soul. We are flesh and we are spirit. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you got to be born of the water for your flesh and you got to be born of the Spirit for your spirit. Because both sides of us need a new birth. Tradition of man created baptism. Let me very quickly wrap this up. In the name of titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gave the great commission. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then the disciples did what? And that's just my question. What did the disciples do? Because that's who he was talking to. He's given them the great commission. Go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They went out and they baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Never one single time will you ever find where in any Bible where they ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's just not there. Because they understood what the name was. They weren't confused. They weren't rebellious. They didn't try to draw things up their own way, start their own philosophy. The early church always baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul felt it important enough to re-baptize people that were not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me finish this up right here very quickly with a few facts, okay? The, uh, men changed the formula at the Council of Nicaea. Yes. Men's doctrines. Listen to these historical documents. I'm taking this from Britannica Encyclopedia, the 11th edition, volume 3, page 365. Can't get much more specific than that. This is what Britannica Encyclopedia says. Baptism was changed from the name of Jesus to the words, not, it, it doesn't even say the name, changed to the words Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the 2nd century. 
Canny's uh, Encyclopedia of Religion, page 53. The early church baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus until the second century. Catholic Encyclopedia, volume 2, page 263. The authors of, states, the authors of this encyclopedia state that the baptismal formula was changed by the Catholic Church. Who gave any man authority to change anything in the Word of God? Hastings Dictionary of the Bible, page 88. It must be acknowledged that the threefold name of Matthew 28, 19 does not appear to have been used by the primitive church, but rather in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus. If you have not been baptized, Jesus doesn't recommend that you think about it. He commands that you do it if you want to be saved. Would you stand with me this morning? story that many of you have heard that bears repeating this morning to close out this lesson. We've got the mindset sometimes that we can do whatever we want to do, make it say whatever we decide that it should say to fit us. But that's simply not an option for the child of God. The ship was out off the coast captain was looking out over the bow he sees another ship's light that's heading his way he calls up his signal man he says signal that ship to change its course 10 degrees to the south all of a sudden the lights came and the reply was change your course 10 degrees north the captain was a little disturbed by that he said I'm going to pull rank here he said Signal to him, I am the ship's captain. I demand you change your course 10 degrees to the south. The reply came back, said, I'm a seaman, first class, and I demand that you change your course 10 degrees to the north. The captain said, I'm going to show him who's boss. I'm on a battleship, and you must, per my orders, changed course by 10 degrees to the north the reply was simply this well I'm manning this lighthouse (laughs) and I demand that you change your course 10 degrees to the north you see the lighthouse is never going to change its course it's already been set it already has a foundation it has a purpose for why it's where it's at. And that ship's captain could have screamed, hollered, yelled, pulled rank, even shot, a, shot one over the bow. And that lighthouse would have never moved. And sometimes we spend so much time and effort trying to get the Word of God to fit what we want it to say. To the point that we'll listen to something that has that was founded upon a man's doctrine and not the Word of God. Because the Word of God said it's forever settled. It's, it's not moving. It's not moving. If we want safe harbor, if we don't want to crash on the rocks, the jagged edges, the shorelines of this life, may I recommend to us today 
we simply say, God, whatever your word says, I want to do. Would you lift your hands with me today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your precious word. God, we are so grateful today to have you as a friend and a savior. So thankful for your word today. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.